before I introduce our guest speaker, <laughs> there is one thing I forgot to mention a little bit ago. The best way when you have something going on in your family, your neighbors, the best thing you can do is let your church family know. You know, I don't know if you all know it or not. I think, I think most of you do. In this church, there are some prayer warriors that you can't imagine. There are people that pray for you if you have something going on in your life. So the best thing you can do is contact contact Heather at the office, contact one of the elders, and we'll get the word out. Uh, those text blasts that come out is uh, right now the most uh, efficient way for us to, to contact people. So if there's something going on in your life, your family, some of your neighbors, somebody that just needs to be thought of, lifted up, and prayed for, please contact us. That's what we're here for. Well, we're happy to have Forrest here to speak for us this morning. And uh, Forrest told me, told Darla yesterday, actually he was going to talk about Jude. And I thought, all right, I'm, I'm anxious to hear this. So uh, Forrest had a, earlier on, he was going to speak earlier this month, and then we scheduled Kyle, and then Kyle got sick. So he's had a couple extra weeks to think about this. So he's really ready, okay? All right, I want to pray for Forrest. Father, thank you for Forrest. Thank you we can be here this morning. And now as uh, just Forrest opens the word, we just pray you would speak through him. And that we would hear the message you have for us today. We just ask it in your holy name. Amen. Good morning. As I thought and prepared to speak this week, I, I did what every father would do. And he asked his children, what should I say? And my, my son Finn gave me a good answer. And I'm going to actually have him come up here and give his answer to what I should say. Praise the Lord. So that was my sermon prep. Now we can go eat lunch. Uh, I couldn't have given a better sermon. Who knows? Maybe he'll be a preacher someday. I am going to be speaking on the book Jude. Now, Jude, as the title would suggest, is written by Jude. And Jude is the English translation of the name Judas and Judas is identified as Jesus's brother in Matthew 1355 so we know Jude is um, one of Jesus's siblings and he also identifies himself as the sibling of James as well it's likely that Jude did not become a believer till after the resurrection and Jude was written around 60 AD so that is a little bit of the background on the book of Jude. All right, I will be going through the whole book. The Jude is not but only a chapter long. And I'll be reading out of the ESV, and I'm going to start with the first two verses or the greeting. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and are kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, Jude starts his letter saying that he is a servant of Christ. Now, think about this. Jude is the brother of Christ, but yet he only considered himself as a servant. And I think this tells us a little, about the, little bit about the humility of Jude. Because I know if I was writing this letter, 
my pride would get the best of me and be like, yeah, my, my big brother is Jesus. I'm kind of a big deal. You should listen to me. But Jude identifies himself as a servant. He also identifies himself as the brother of James, who was an important leader in the Church of Jerusalem and also is the author of the, the letter that bears his name, the book of James in the New Testament. We also see that Jude identifies who he's writing this letter to. He's writing this letter to Christians. And he identifies this in three different ways. First, he says they are called. A person is a Christian because God has called them. Now, it's important to answer the call when he's called you. He also says they are beloved by God the Father. And the third way we know he's writing to Christians is he says they are preserved or kept by Jesus. So we know that this letter was written to believers. And he finishes his greeting with, may mercy, may mercy peace and love be multiplied to you. Who needs a simple addition when you can just multiply these great things to your life? I will now be reading verses three and four. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. We can see that Jude's initial desire was to write about our common salvation. But we can see that the Holy Spirit pressed upon him and he found it necessary to write a different letter. Jude found it necessary to write a letter about contending for the faith. And he emphasizes the word you. He says you need to contend for the faith. I need to. You do. As Christians, we all have to have a job to contend for the faith. And this contending isn't a one time thing. It's continually throughout our life. He also says that these certain men have crept in unnoticed. These false teachers are so dangerous Because they sneak in and spread their own ideas and their own gospel. These certain men don't come in wearing name badges that say false teacher. These men probably seem to be extra biblical, seem to be good standing, can appear very normal. But he also says that these false false teachers may, may fool men, but they do not fool God and are designated for condemnation. These false teachers pervert the grace of God. They practice sin without shame. And the message of God's grace is a beautiful thing. But a false false teacher can corrupt it. And this simply shows how corrupt the human heart is. These false teachers deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They do this by refusing to recognize who Jesus said he was. And therefore, they also deny who God the Father is also. We are not specifically told how these men deny the Lord. They may, it may be that they deny him by their ungodly living, or it may be by their 
heretical doctrines. I think both are probably true in this case. Next, I'll be reading verses five through seven. Verses five through seven gives us three different examples of how these certain men or false teachers are going to face judgment. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who died, did not believe. And the angel who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept he has kept eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Jude is reminding us of what happened in in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. God delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. They went out of Egypt and were on the threshold of the promised land. But at the border... The people refused to trust God and go into the promised land, the land of Canaan. Therefore, almost none of the adult generation who left Egypt and entered into the promised land. Think of what God did for the people of Israel in this situation and then how they responded to him. They experienced God's miraculous deliverance at the Red Sea. They received his daily care and his provision of manna in the wilderness Yet they still lapsed into unbelief and never entered into a place of blessing and rest that God had promised them. The warning through Jude is clear. The people of Israel started out of Egypt well enough. They had many blessings from God along the way, but they did not endure to the end because they did not believe God's promise of power and protection. Now, verse six, there is some measure of controversy about the identity of these particular angels. I only know of two places in the Bible where it speaks of angels sinning. First, there was the original rebellion of some angels against God, the fall of Satan. And secondly, there was the sin of the sons of God described in Genesis six. I don't really know, but what I do know is God judged these wicked angels, setting them in everlasting chains. This assures us that false teachers causing trouble will be judged, no matter what their spiritual status has been. These angels at one time stood in immediate glorious presence of God and now are in everlasting chains. If God judged the angels who sinned, he will judge these false teachers. And the third example we see is Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah is, in Genesis 13, referenced as the Garden of the Lord. It was a once blessed place. But they turned to their own natural desires and were punished by eternal fire. So again, we see judgment coming down. I'll be reading verses 8 through 10 now. Yet, in Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. 
But when the archangel contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they also and they are destroyed by all that they like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. When Jude, when Jude pointed out these men or false teachers, he, he noticed that they reject authority. If they reject authority, it probably means that they want to be in authority. They also reject the authority of the people God put in authority as well. Jude also speaks of dreams or dreamers. It's possible that Jude meant that these certain men were out of touch with reality. Quite possibly, probably, but it's more likely that he meant they claim to have prophetic dreams, which are really deceptions. And as far as Michael and the dispute over uh, Moses's body, I'm going to just let that speak for itself. I do not know. And in verse 10, we see that false teachers speak on things that they do not know. They tend to seem to be know-it-alls. I'll be reading verse 11 next. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perish in Korah's rebellion. These three men came from quite different backgrounds. Cain was a farmer. Balaam was a prophet. And Korah was a leader in Israel. The one thing I notice is that unbelief is never confined to one group of people. Uh, verses 12 and 13. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shep- shepherds feeding themselves waterless rain, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wind waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. We see that false teachers eat with you at potlucks. They feed only themselves. They are waterless rain clouds, which would be pretty disappointing right now if we saw a rain cloud and it was waterless, right? Fruitless fruit trees, a navigation star that moves. False teachers only take and offer no guidance. And hell is their destiny unless they repent. (coughs) Verses 14 and 15. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. (coughs) In this quotation from the book of Enoch, Jude emphasizes the words all and ungodly. God is coming to judge all of the ungodly.
I'll be reading verses 16 through 18. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Jude noticed that these false teachers' methods all revolved around words. On top of their questionable lives, they were essentially a people of deception, departing from the foundation of Christ and the apostles and prophets. <coughs> Excuse me. These people were complainers, and it's rightly been observed that whenever a man gets out of touch with God, he is likely to begin complaining about something. These certain men knew how to use smooth and flattering words to get an advantage over other people. Kind of sounds like some politicians, right? They, they would say anything, good or bad, to gain an advantage. But yet we are called to be different. We are to remember that what Jesus and the apostles have said, knowing that there is going to be mocking by those who want us to go down the same path of destruction. And these certain men or false teachers, their whole desire is to create division. I will be reading verses 20 through 22. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to others. Show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, Jude doesn't is not focusing here on the false teacher. He's telling us what we need to do. He doesn't necessarily tell us what to do with these false teachers who are a danger to the church. Instead, he tells us that we need to focus on our walk with the Lord and help others affected by these certain men and focus on God. It seems that we are simply to pay the false teachers no attention except for what is necessary for a warning. God, God, Jude makes it very clear that God will take care of them. Jude also begins to tell us what we must do with those who have been influenced by these false teachers. We need to make a distinction based on where they are coming from. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We can know so we can know when we should comfort and when we should rebuke. Christians should not abandon a friend flirting with false teaching. They should help them through it with love. This means we continue to love them, no matter how bad the person is or how misleading or terrible their doctrine is. We are not allowed to hate them or be unconcerned about their salvation. I'll be reading the last two verses, 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. 
To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude closes his letter with a brief declaration of praise to God. Jude's doxology reminds us of God's care and and of our destiny. Jude's message of warning and doom might have depressed and discouraged his readers. Perhaps his original readers thought that with so much false teaching and immorality around, very, very few Christians would ever make it to heaven. He reminds us that he reminds them that the answer lies only in the power of God. He is able to keep you and you aren't able to keep yourself. Jude is a book full of warning, but it closes with supreme confidence in God. Dangerous times should make us trust in a mighty God. I'll close with prayer. Father, thank you for the message of Jude. Thank you for making us aware of the influences in our lives and be cautious with those influences. It also made me aware that I need to be cautious with my influence on others as well. My prayer is as we go forward through the week that we think on the book of Jude and just try to be and bring you glory. In your name I pray. Amen.